The text for the sermon is taken from the uh, epistle. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that, by the way, is service, uh, is a reference to worship. It's your reasonable service of worship. Uh, and, not, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, from the Holy Communion on page 81, And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I want us to uh, reflect some this morning, uh, consider the body, the human body, its glory, its shame, its worth, its vigor, its virtue, and its weakness. Uh, why do we starve our bodies one season and then gorge them the next? Why do we caress uh, the body one more moment and then strike it uh, the next? Walking down uh, on the downtown mall with family and friends, we turn and catch our reflection in a shop window. We love that sight, but then we reflectively, some of us anyway, suck our stomachs in. Uh, and turn away from that reflection. Ironically, our bodies stir up our narcissism, and then the same bodies intrude and spoil our self-absorption. Our bodies offer happiness, uh, but we know <clears throat> that our bodies betray us. Uh, our hope uh, waxes with our vitality and then sags uh, in accordance with sickness or sorrow and sometimes with aging. Uh, but more importantly, uh, why has God Almighty, God Almighty, who is spirit, who is a consuming fire, St. Paul, uh, St. James says, why has this God committed himself to human flesh? Uh, why has the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the eternal word of the Father, uh, uh, why has God entered into our world as one of us? St. Paul and all of the other apostles of the church in the church, ancient and modern, agree that God has committed himself to materiality. Uh, and in particular, he has committed himself to the matter uh, and the material substance of, of, of the human body. Uh, what is yet more spectacular uh, is that the word of the Father, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has committed, uh, is committed to human flesh uh, to be co-eternal with his own divinity. Uh, well, what does that mean? Uh, this means that our Lord uh, did not merely use human flesh as a means to an end. The incarnation is not an example of some high utilitarianism. Uh, Jesus did not throw away his human flesh once his earthly work was finished. When he ascended uh, uh, to the Father 50 days after his resurrection, he did not, quote, escape the prison of the human body. Not at all. First of all, uh, because the human body uh, is not a prison. Uh, not at all. He actually became flesh. He died in his flesh upon the cross and then three days later he was raised uh, uh, from the dead body and law. So God loves flesh uh, and he has chosen to anchor his life in flesh forever. And with this fact, the unthinkable has occurred because the unchangeable, immutable, the invisible God has become visible and he has changed. And he's entered into our mutability, our changeableness. 
by what uh, theologians call the hypostatic union. Uh, the hy hypostatic union, what, what that means is that when Jesus was conceived uh, in the womb of his mother, uh, the Holy, uh, uh, the second person of the Trinity entered into his womb, and without forfeiting his, uh, forfeiting his divinity, uh, he actually received humanity from his mother Mary, uh, and, uh, uh, and he actually added, as it were, human life. Uh, human nature to his divinity. He did not clothe himself with divinity. It wasn't a human being who clothed himself with divinity, and uh, uh, nor uh, did he was the human body a shell to mask uh, uh, his true identity. Not at all. He took into his divine life true human nature. Uh, and so the church, church teaches that the person of Jesus Christ is both truly God and truly man. Both of those things are, are true. He's flesh this very day, uh, and in his flesh he takes a fitting place at the right hand of the Father, which, by the way, doesn't mean that the Father has a body. That's, that's a metaphor. Uh, but it does mean that our Lord is seated, as it were, metaphorically upon the throne of the hum, universe, a human being just like us, uh, a person with a navel uh, rules over the universe. Now, this separates us from all other religions. Since the central project of, of most other religions is to escape forever what they assume is the prison of the body. On the other hand, our God-given project is to love our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit and to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Uh, now, let me just say this, too. That has very little to do with morality. I know that's exactly what we tend to jump to. It has little to do with morality. It has everything to do with worship. Uh, perhaps uh, this is exactly where we should begin with the remarkable fact that St. Paul considers the human body a worthy object to sacrifice to God. The human body, as St. Paul says, is a sacrifice that God delights in, a sacrifice that he would not rebuff. Now, understand this. Listen to what I'm saying. When we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, uh, we are not expecting it uh, to be all burnt up and annihilated uh, on an altar uh, or in any other fashion. Are y'all with me here on this? Uh, God does not delight in taking a sacrificial a victim and rendering it to a state of non-existence. Uh, neither God nor his people are nihilists, and that would be nihilism. Uh, we have an offertory. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. So this is what really takes place with the biblical sacrifice is that we offer up a gift to God. We offer up a gift to God. Uh, uh, that gift we offer up to God is the gift that God first gave us. Uh, for example, in the Old Testament, that gift may have been a dove or a lamb. So God made doves and lambs, right? Uh, not us. In the church, we offer up bread and wine. These are gifts that we have actually received from God. Uh, in the first place, God made lambs, God made doves, God made wheat, God made grapes, and God made fermentation. 
Those are his gifts. In the Old Testament, if you made a sacrifice like an animal, the animal was killed and the priest then roasted it and then a portion of that animal was given back to you to take home to your family. A portion was given to the priest and then another portion was left on the altar, not merely to be burnt up. That's not the understanding of, the, of, of, of Israel at all. It was left on the altar because that was God's portion. And, and that sacrifice then was rendered to God in such a way that we couldn't take it back. Uh, it was burnt and the sweet smelling savor and the smoke rose up to God. That's the imagery that they understood. Are you with me? On this? Okay. The sacrifice rendered the life of, the of that sacrificed up to God in the smoke, in the sweet smelling savor. There's no nihilism here. But there is community. Uh, there are the three of us. Family, Israel, God, all sharing a meal together. And even that's not the end of the story. So we offer these gifts up to God if what happens? God receives the gifts. This is pretty close, by the way, to what happened when I was a little boy and my father gave me some money to buy my mother a birthday present. Uh, and and uh, I received that money that belonged to them in the first place. And then he would drive me to the five and dime uh, and I'd find a gift for my mother. And when I gave it to her, she treated it like it was a gift for me. Uh, and, and in a way, that's what we're doing in a manner of speaking in all of our offering. We take what God has already given us, we offer it back to him in some form or another, and he receives the gift. Then something unexpected happens. When God receives the gifts from his children, his very, his very reception of that gift then uh, does something. It changes the gift. The gift becomes Eucharist, and then he gives it back to us. And so in the Holy Communion, we present ourselves, our souls, our bodies. Uh, we are offering back to God his most precious gift, our very existence, our very life. And when we donate our very existence to God as a living sacrifice, not only are the gifts of bread and wine on the altar made Eucharist, but you are Eucharized yourself. You're made a Eucharist also. So, but see this is very important. We do not present ourselves and our souls and our bodies to be a congregation of individual sacrifices. That is not what happens. Yeah, we do begin individually uh, uh, making a plurality of presentations, individually offering up our life to God. But when God receives our individual multiple gifts, he makes us one single Sacrifice. That's what that text says. And here, we, and here we offer and present unto the alert ourselves, our souls, our bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. We begin with we, we begin with our, and we end as one. One living sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? Nobody wants, nobody wants to say, no, I don't, I'm not getting this, but I, I got it, okay. Separate grains of wheat are broken down and then folded into one loaf. Uh, separate grapes are smashed and then fermented into one vat of wine. 
Uh, this is what the Mass refers to as our sacrifice of thanksgiving. At that moment, uh, in this congregation here present, as the Book of Common Prayer says, God receives our individual uh, oblations, our several offerings of ourselves, our souls, and body, and he makes us one living sacrifice. Uh, not, not many sacrifices. No, you're not made into individual sacrifices. It was made one living sacrifice. Uh, that is to say um, that the Holy Communion, in the Holy Communion, we become the body of Christ for a particular work to be accomplished in the Holy Communion. I don't have enough time to go into that, but I will sometime. But that is work that we're going to do together in a few minutes. And that's why you come to church, to participate in that work. Because there's no other way to do it. You can't do it by Zoom. You can't do it over the phone or television. You can't call it in. You have to be here. We have to be here together to accomplish this. This is actually the office of the priesthood of the believer. Priesthood of the believer is not an individualistic thing. It's absolutely the opposite of that. It is our coming together. The priest of the believer uh, is the clergy and the laity. Okay. The clergy and the laity are like the two lungs of Christ's body breathing blessing, benediction, and conclusion. And we step into his office at this point in the Mass. As you do that, as I do that together, uh, uh, God receives and makes Eucharistic. Uh, ourselves, our souls, and bodies into one loaf, baked and offered up for the life of the world. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.